Triple Threat Media is a New Orleans-based production company that documents the humanity of multi-hyphenates in the arts and entertainment industries. They produce everything from music videos to live and virtual events, reels, commercials, and podcasts. The people behind Triple Threat Media are the most smart, multi-talented, and humble professionals in the greater New Orleans area who love and honor the art of storytelling. How do I know this? Well, Triple Threat Media is my company. If you've been following my artistic journey over the last 18 years, you know it's always involved some type of multimedia production. All of that seasoning has put me in community with the best industry professionals in this area who are ready to serve you in your next media project. Also, with every transaction, Triple Threat Media shares a cut of their earnings to directly support the sustainability and economic empowerment of New Orleans artists. When you book our services, you are helping individuals in those communities keep their lights on, tap into their creative aspirations, and level up their entrepreneurial ambitions. For more info and to book our services, visit TripleThreatMedia.net. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Aware Millennial. Happy Black History Month. I know my Black people out here are happy that we have an extra day this year. Um, Today, we're going to be going back in time just about, I don't know, how long was this ago? 10 months? Um, Remember when I was doing Dream Hour with No Dream Deferred on the regular and we would have these wonderful conversations that are oppressing our Black community as Black creatives. And there was one particular conversation that I had with a bunch of folks about Black hair in the theater. And I remember just feeling like, I don't know who's gonna show up because we do this on Instagram Live and it's kind of like, you know, whoever shows up, shows up. And we had a great response of people that wanted to chime in. So this was obviously something that was really pressing our community everybody really wanted to chime in to see how we could be better and I really don't want to say very much about it I'm going to share the whole conversation the whole episode with y'all and I really hope that it brings some insight to maybe people that don't have to deal with these issues and or don't realize the versatility of our hair and why we wear our hair certain ways um I hope that it's educational. Uh, I will apologize. The audio is obviously Instagram Live, so it's not going to be as great. But the conversation, the quality of the conversation is there. So I'm hoping that that'll keep you tuned in. All right, y'all. Happy Black History Month. Happy Dream Hour, everybody. This is going to be more like a dream 15 minutes because as y'all can tell, I'm not home, which is great. This is new vibe. You know, we're in New Orleans. The festival's almost here. We just started rehearsals for the first two shows that will be premiering for the festival today. So things are really getting crazy. Not in a good way, you know, like crazy meaning we actually, oh wow, they, okay, so it's somebody's birthday too. <laughs> I'm trying to move over so y'all don't have to hear as much trumpet. Okay. All right. So cool. Oh, hey, what's up? We got some folks in here already. But this is going to be a pretty quick one. We're talking about black hair and makeup in the theater. But before we get started, in case you have not checked out Dream Hour before, Dream Hour is a space for black and brown creatives to let off some steam, talk about what they need to talk about so that they can create and be more creative in their creative pursuits. And what else was I going to say? Oh, duh, the disclaimer. And I feel like I got to see, I have an outline in my head, y'all. And I think I already, I finally memorized the disclaimer. I think the disclaimer, if I can remember very much so, has something something along the lines of, something along the lines of dream hour being a place where people have opinions that are not always rooted in fact. So make sure that you check with, you know, research experts before forming an opinion and yeah seek and make sure that you just lead with empathy when things are i think that's right 
lead with empathy when maybe something that somebody says might be wrong or you may disagree with. So that's basically kind of what it is. That was not the disclaimer, but like that was a nice paraphrase. So I want to talk about black hair in theater only because I know the grand scheme of things in terms of the the history of black hair in, in the theater, it goes way far back that, I mean, before we even knew what theater was, like what we know theater to be today. But I think the reasoning why I wanted to talk about black hair in the theater, black hair and makeup in the theater, I should say, is because there's been some moments in time, at least within my experiences and the experiences of other black and brown artists that I know of in the theater that have... I wouldn't necessarily say ever they haven't been so pleasant and some of them have been pleasant. Um, I can talk about a time just within this last year where I feel like in terms of the hair and makeup that I was able to, to wear within, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll just go into it. So a good experience I had was when I was, I think I played, yeah, I played Joanne in Rent a little less than a year ago, a little about last year. And I was able to wear Joanne's hair had like three different looks, but they all, we had like the, if you know rent, most people know rent, but if you don't, it's, um, there's a very, like this, this is a very well-known place. So like most people that normally played the traditional Joanne in terms of the way she looks, her hair is very much like always in a fro of some sort. And she's just, you know, very, I wouldn't say butch, but like, you know, she always had that like signature red coat and everything. But the one thing I liked was that like, I started off with that. I had like a little, fr- like my, my hair is naturally curly and everything, but underneath the, 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 the base of it was cornrows, but I didn't put those, like, you don't see those cornrows until act two. Act one, I wore my hair in a wig so the wig was on top of the cornrows right so the wig was a fro and so most people wouldn't even know like they would look at the wig and they're like oh that looks like sorry, got people around me most people wouldn't even realize that wasn't my real hair because it, it looked so real right so i wore the fro in the first act the second act i it, like time had changed like time had passed by it was like 10 minutes not 10 minutes i'm sorry one y'all i'm tired also so like forgive me it was like 10, it was like a year or so afterwards when Act 2 happens. And then we see Joanne with the really pretty braids or I'm sorry, cornrows. Yes, cornrows. And then the final scenes, which I think time passes by a little bit more. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm reading. Hold on. I didn't even realize you were saying stuff. Miss... Mr. Bree said, hair makeup artist here. I assured my artists were taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it depends. Sorry, I'm trying to, like, just... I'm looking at... If you want to talk a little bit more, like, I'm I'm going to be reading your comments, but I would love to hear more about, like, how you ensure that your artists are taken care of. Because I guess it also depends on, like, which artist, right? You know what? Hold on. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about some other stuff. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm... Make sure I remember, like, I'm going to hold that train of thought and get back to it in just a second. But to just go back into how my hair was for that final scene with Joanne. Remember, I had the fro, then the cornrows, and then I got, like, this... They gave me, like, this wig that had, like... It, it looked very similar to this, but, like, I wore my hair up in, like... If you check out my socials, I have, like, all of the the looks there if you want to look it up. But I was... like I feel like that was the most versatile in terms of like hairstyles that I had ever had on stage ever and they were like very natural hairstyles I really loved it I love that the director Polenko Jones Jr shout out to Polenko for getting that all together and making sure like that was a thing because I I don't know I feel like in other productions that I've gone to like my hair has not been it hasn't been like a I feel like most of the time when I was doing shows prior I had to really figure out and pay for my own hair and figure out like what it was going to do. But it was nice to have someone else know about my hair enough the way it was. In order to get it done this way. 
was beautiful. Ah. Oh, we got Tiffany. Okay, so Tiffany. Hey, perfect. Good. Just talking. Uh-huh. I was just talking about my hair and how it was for Joanne when I was in Rent last year because I had like some versatile hairstyles for that one show that I had done. I don't think I had ever uh-huh. done that, but I was saying it was because I had a director that knew about black hair and knew exactly what uh-huh. they wanted, so they were able to just tell me what I needed to do versus me having to figure it out. Which I, I feel know. like I'm here. Connection closed. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So I'm reading. Okay. Okay. So Tiffany, this is uh, Tiffany, everybody. The live yeah. producer for the We Would Dream Festival. <laughs> I got that right, right? <laughs> Co-producer. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you yes. Said you had so a I'm not going to name doing, the theater. But what but we were talking about right Several now. years ago, I was visiting a theater company okay. in Oregon. And it's a huge theater company. And I heard the most wild story. So first of all, let me give you some background. For those who don't know, Oregon, the state of Oregon, in their constitution, when they were founded, did not allow Black people to live in the state. They're the birthplace of Sunset Town. Mm. Okay? Mm. Starting with that. Also, this theater company that I'm talking about is located in a town that is 30 minutes away from a town that 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 is where the neo-Nazi movement started. So I'm starting with that, okay? But it's in a very, it's in a rural, very scenic <laughs> place in Oregon. Now, <clears throat> this has been around for a very long time, the theater company. And since 2014, they have had majority BIPOC company of actors so they do shows in rep so actors actually lived there for about 10 months and so previously for years and years decades black actors particularly black female actors knew that if they got a gig at this theater company they would have to shave their head before they went to the company because the closest black hairstylist was five hours away in Portland. Oh, hell. Right? Hell. And then they will put them in wigs <laughs> that were obviously not their hair, right? So, like, no natural texture, nothing like that. So, right. it wasn't until, I think, 2013 that they hired a Black hairstylist full-time on staff Okay, and they set her up in a local hair salon that was down the street. And so what happened was like, so it was like this white hair salon in the back corner was like, a, it was like the back corner was just a black hair salon, meaning like there's champagne, people were talking, there's music going, right? Like it was like a vibe, right? Just one corner of this white hair salon. And what happened was black women from all over around this community started showing up because they heard word got around, oh my God, there's a black hairstylist close by. And these women had never even heard of the, of the theater company or gone to the theater company, like gone to a show. And so they finally started like, they actually wow. got more patrons. Uh-huh. Um, and then they also hired a wig specialist, a black female wig specialist who actually like created wigs that match each actor's natural texture. So like they did the wigs, right? And you know, that's all these colorful, you know, um, hair uh, wigs, but each wig matched oh. that particular actor's natural texture. So it looked like it could grow out their head. Um, um, but it was a whole thing about, because like bit. even that it took years for them to hire this hairstylist, the black hairstylist and the black wig maker, because there was like, like ridiculous surveys going around of like, well, how do you do your hair? Who cares how people do their hair? Your black, black actors are telling you we need a hairstylist. Right. Um, and so that's my black hair story for theater. <laughs> I appreciate you telling us that. That's, I did not... Well, I mean, that was also now. Ten, that was see, when you say 2013, I, I was like, oh, that was Oof. like seven years ago. 
know, that was 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But isn't yeah. that wild? <laughs> well, I really... No, uh, but I mean, wild yeah, that I these can't women save their heads. It's going to get worse, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Okay, that's I it. I got to get back to my baby. <laughs> my quick story. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> Hello. My name is actually Brie Leon. Right, so, I go by Mr. Brie on here because I'm a teacher now. Uh, <laughs> so I have to change my socials. Um, but I'm actually from New Orleans, Louisiana, born and raised. Um, I teach in New York City now. Um, but most of my experience, I, I attended Loyola University. I graduated in uh, 2020, was originally enrolled in 2015. Um, but even, I, I, we we talked about like black hair, but even like theater in the South, it is it's very hard for black people to feel represented at all in that field like in college for me i was actually forced into well not forced in in a way forced into i was actually forced into design because we didn't do shows at loyola that accommodated many black people and the shows that we did do had severe racial undertones and quite literally you're competing for like a bunch of black people in the department the 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 community of us that it was we were competing for the mammy and servant roles and that just wasn't something that i i wanted to portray on stage at all so in order to get production credits i decided to join like the hair and makeup crew but they didn't have a designer for the year in which I went. So I was appointed the designer. And the very first show that I've had to do was Romeo and Juliet. And it was like this post-apocalyptic type Romeo and Juliet. But I knew that one, I had to do this cast completely by myself. But the two, some of my peers and of my community were in this cast. We had, so that was the first time Loyola had ever seen box break. Um, as like, in like, I mean, not a wig box braid, I mean, actual box braids as uh, a part of a design. That was the first time we did afros as a part of a Romeo and Juliet design. And I, I started off with, I also had people that were not as skilled or versed with makeup, uh, didn't like that on their skin, didn't know how to color match. So all of these things I was very cognizant about because my, uh, experience initially with makeup was taking the makeup class for the very first time in 2015 as a part of the curriculum as an elective and color matching was an issue all of that and I know how that felt so when I say that my my community was taken care of under my care is not only just like oh I know how to do this for you but what are you comfortable with number one we talked about what are you comfortable with? But also, how do we need to meet the means of the show? Because some people just was like, ah, makeup is not a, a thing for me. But I'm just like, okay, I get that. What are your discomforts? And then we'll unpack that. Normally, it'll be shade. I don't like how it feels and stuff like that. Luckily, we're in more of a... Um, a beauty community or a makeup community where shades of all varieties are, like, uh, appointed to us. But I've been on shows with, like, a minimal budget and I'm not able to get the shades for my darker girls and I would have to improvise like using eyeshadows for blush using eyeshadows for contours but one thing about it I made sure that they were comfortable I've also worked with uh Lauren Lauren e. Turner she directed Cadillac Crew and okay. I did hair and makeup for that show there and we also had several hair changes uh especially the big switch of going from the civil rights era to present day to where we and I wig my girls and I fought for a budget I also used to I know I'm a little bald head now but I used to I grew my hair off for five years so I knew how to take care of my hair type four hair so what I would do is like 
my my girls in that show who knew how to do each other's hair uh, for wigging purposes, we would flat twist it down, cornrow it down, whoever, whatever the case may be. But I made sure in the budget that I included full lace, 360 lace wigs for them so that we can do these updos and they would feel comfortable so that we can stay true to our character, but also make sure that the person playing the character, because it's always a person underneath it, is accommodated. So we didn't have a, a shade range issue. Um, we was able to pull off the designs, but also in a way that made them feel good. Because once we swap over into the modern day, I custom built dread wig, well, I'm sorry, locked wigs uh, from Jump. Like, like from absolute scratch. Lauren told me what she wanted, wow. what she saw in the vision. And we made it happen. And we made it happen in a way that was going to make the characters feel most comfortable. And it was it was quite literally one of my most favorite shows, one of my most successful shows. But as for the point in which um, directors, creative directors, anybody on the board of a theater group, the people in which you put on stage and the reason in which you're doing things have to transcend just this play now because of the current circumstance that we in. Um, and we, we have to do it for us by us. So that means the opportunities can't just be spread out amongst, oh, I know this person. The opportunities should be based off of abilities. And I think what's, what's so crazy um, that we don't really understand how socialized and nuanced this is, is that me as a designer, I must know how to do a white person's hair. I must know how to do any other culture's hair, especially in most yeah. of those people vary between the 3A on down. So you're talking 3A loose wave texture to bone straight. And I can wig them. I need to know how to pin curl them. I need to know how to French roll them. And if I don't know how to do these things, I can't work. However, someone can work with type 3C and down, type 4 hair, and they don't need to know how to do that. It's not a requirement that they know how to do it. It's not a requirement that they know uh -huh. how to flat twist, cornrow, put on their wig, style a wig, make it look realistic, cut a lace, lay a lace down. It's not a requirement for them. And I think when we when we hire people or when we even have that that type of mentality that this is an other and separate um, our Black actors and our Black performers um, in that sense, or our type four, our kinky curly hair performers, when we separate them in a sense, you're you're losing the integrity of the show. You're losing the integrity of the the workers that you're you're hiring. You're making you're clearing the the slate as you are not as important yeah. as that other performer. And I can't even tell you the amount of times that um, the my peers because we went to school together while I was designing for them. I can't tell you the amount of times of how, how much they would thank me and tell me like, oh, I'm so comfortable. I never had this type of experience with my hair. I never had this type of experience with my makeup. And to the, oh my God. Speaking of Jalen, I have with her done her makeup. Uh, she was actually in the show that I was talking about, mm -hmm. Cadillac Crew. And even in the sense of just just doing that, I also do a thing that she can attest to. When we would be getting ready for shows, um, I always had a playlist going. I had a playlist in rotation because I think that also just eases the tension. Like, I know as a performer, especially as a plus-size performer, costuming um, was like the one for me yeah costuming was the one for me so like i could only imagine yeah i could only, only imagine as like a curly kinky haired person how the anxiety you must feel getting ready for a show possibly damaging hair during the show people not knowing how to do it you feeling like you're inadequate because they don't know how to do your hair. So not only did we fix that portion and make sure that everybody was accommodated in that way, but the overall atmosphere uh, there, I say, was very black every time I did a show. We had the the, the playlist in rotation. Um, my choice, uh, my, my playlist of choice was Cheetah Girls 2. 
um, the whole soundtrack. We were, we was just yeah. it's it's more so than just I think <laughs> that it, even if you have someone who has the skill, you can have the skill, but it's also even just maintaining that comfort. But I think I've yapped enough. I can turn it over to Jay. <laughs> So to add in, I wanted to, you know, come into this live because I have always hated, truly hated, like, uh, I call it, uh, what do you call it? Dress rehearsals. Mm. I hated them. I always hate them because first of all, it's like, I'm a person and I like just having someone come and like touch my hair and do like first of all I don't know you first of all <laughs> and then like I've grown up with my hair I know my hair best I know my skin best I know my you know my body so first of all it's already an uncomfortable experience and I will say that experience in Cadillac crew like looking back at it now I'm a junior I was a freshman when I was in that show I didn't realize how much of a blessing it was to be a part of an experience where it's a whole other us people <laughs> and people that just understand like you, your hair, all of that. I've never had a hair designer or hair whatever person care for my hair the way that Breland has. Never. I still have yet to experience that and I was in a show I was in intimate apparel last year um I'm gonna be real y'all they had me looking like a slave like I I was annoyed I was just fed up and I was like really I was just really irritated during like the dress rehearsal process because they gave me like this it was like a braid piece and I had a bun in, and um, they like, I don't know, like the braid was like a, it was like a headband, but it's like a braid. <laughs> and they put it on, and I'm just like looking in the mirror, and I'm like, I don't like this at all. And I'm trying to be difficult because no one likes to work with a difficult artist, but it's like, mm. I don't like this. And then the, the hair person, you know, they were like, oh, it looks nice. I'm just like, no. And and I, I don't I don't really want to hear from you right now because I'm frustrated. Like, I don't need you saying, oh, it looks good. And it's like, it's your place. Like, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I hate it. I hate dress rehearsals. But yeah. I just came to say that was the first experience where I felt like heard, where I felt like my hair was being taken care of. I felt comfortable. Even it's always a, an uncomfortable feeling. Like I don't know you. Like it's a sacred space to for you to even be in my hair. So right, and I also think that the issue is especially during like you like you said dress rehearsal time. You don't really have much time to correct things or just like. It's almost like whatever you get is what you get. And then what what happens, especially if you're from a performer's perspective and you're an actor, it's like you can't really get in the character if you're not feeling comfortable with how you look. Like, it's, I don't, you know, it. like, if you feel, this was the conversation I had with Polenko in um, one of the episodes I did in the past, last, last year. Um, something along the lines of, like, you know, feeling if you don't feel sexy, you're not going to, oh, yeah. you're not going to perform well, basically. Like, you gotta feel like you feel good on stage. Yeah. So, yeah. That's I, my uh, I also, my college, the, the whole reason I'm here, I wrote a essay in high school, and it was entitled My Complicated Hair. In high school, I went to a conservatory, and, um, it was an art school. But yeah, I remember being in a show and they had like, they had one wall and it was like a period. It's like it was a, you know, back in the day. So on one wall they had like, for I guess 
looked like it was like different pictures of hairstyles of the time period oh, and it was like separated by male and female and uh also like black and white and i'm looking at the pictures and the white women were all glammed up and the black women looked like mammy figures that was already a problem in itself and i'm like okay this is lovely and so i had i was just very frustrated and i'm just trying to you know keep my cool but i went and i talked to like i guess like the hair slash costume designer and i can't remember what the conversation was about but i just remember him saying like oh Oh, yeah, um, you know, I understand because some people's hair is more complicated than others and such and such. And while that is true, like, there's a different amount of, you know, time that is dedicated to certain people's hair, you know, hair types and whatever. It was just like what you said. It felt like I was being othered. Like, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that my hair is so darn complicated. And I just had to sit with it. And everybody just have a whole, everybody else was just enjoying their time. And it's always like, dang, I'm the angry black woman everywhere I go. Oh, why? Why you can't, why you looking so down? Why I got to? Oh, everybody's just having a good time. Oh, we're getting dressed up. While y'all getting dressed up, glammed up, looking like your Sunday best, I got to sit here and look like a slave. I want to chime in because like, uh, we did what was technically would be a period piece because it was civil rights ever. And I know I had like a full mood board uh, that ranged and then like one of my main inspirations during that time is Ricky Dandridge and like you had black women in Hollywood at the time so even to piggyback off of what someone else on the live was saying was like um black hair is so universal it does not look like one thing so it's not a, a matter of oh it always has to match the texture and it has to visibly look like that texture grows from this person's scalp because there's black people who have type 3a there's black people who have naturally wavy like straight wavy hair there's black people who range all throughout the four different hair types there's also we can manipulate hair we can manipulate with hair with heat with rollers so every hairstyle that is pulled off can very well be pulled off by someone who is black that is what makes the hair unique. So uh, when we're talking about, oh, it needs to look like this, that's also something that's conditioned in us that we need to work through. But I think that even like, cause like it, it's no shame, but like sometimes even in our effect, it, uh, even in our events to stand up and stick up, we still don't realize how far back we are because we don't even listen to the people who were who are actually affected by it. Like, we're not listening to the actual Black people. It can actually get right. I put a piece, and they're working in the offices and stuff like that. Everyone in Cadillac crew, besides one person, actually had kinkier hairstyle. Everyone had the hairstyles at the time. And those hair trends were also set by the Black women. Like, let's not forget. So when we're doing French twists, and we're doing you know, the bumps and stuff like that. Black women pulled off those hairstyles as well. Look at the Ronettes. Look at the, the Supremes. Like, it's it's there. It's textbook. But do we actually, as designers that are non-Black and non-POC, do we actually set forth and do our research and our history? And across the board, in my experiences, a lot of them have not. And even as, an, as a designer, I have gotten... Like, even unrealistic call times, because as you said, like, when we're talking about something like dress rehearsal, especially within a college setting, that dress rehearsal is maybe, like, an hour or two after your last class, or maybe 30 minutes before your last class. And it, it for some people, is absolutely impossible to cornrow your hair down in 15 minutes to come get undressed and, and go out and perform. 
I I know I struggled with uh, advocating for like more realistic call times or you know things like that. Even in senses like I've I've had in situations where um, I've had to purchase things for Cheryl that I did not get compensated for, but I know I have absolutely advocate for it in the budget and that's something that I have been hesitant to and okay realistic call times because if your hair is bone straight sure you can just put it in a ponytail tuck it under bobby pin and slap a wig cap on in five seconds and you're good to go but when you're taking the trusses that shape like a tree to flatten it underneath the wig no that's unrealistic to say oh call time is this and you're gonna do that and it's also something that we need to realize that just because people are black does not mean they know how to act because we also and their hair texture and the, the negligence of it comes from being ashamed to actually wear your hair texture. So some people actually do get their hair done in certain styles, but it's not something that they're doing themselves. Um, all of those things come into play, but like, I feel like a lot of the times, especially at um, in design pools, none of that comes up because having a seat at the table is not enough. We need to be a part of the planning committee. I don't need to just be present for you to acknowledge my presence. I need to be a say-so. I need to be a valuable voice. And unfortunately, it's that type of um, culture within the performing arts, particularly in theater, that really make a lot of people step back from the art form and not practice because I know even in my experiences when I've advocated for not only just myself or my community or advocated for my designers or whether that's for my black and POC peers uh, that's going to come after me something that I'm not even going to benefit from directly I know that you do get that pushback of oh you're being that angry black person or you're being not angry they're not going to actually say it but they'll tell you it's being too difficult and when you're too difficult you're overlooked and you're under book you're not yeah. going to get parts so it's it's one of those silent but deadly feats that black and poc um performers or designers have to deal with because it's like i need you to accommodate me but is it going to actually be at the expense of me actually working because I know, especially from where we come from um, in New Orleans at that particular college, they love to hold that one over your head as the, the connections that they have that they can stop if you're too difficult. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to pop in and say I appreciate this conversation. I, I'm a costume designer by trade who I always say blue lights in in hair and makeup. I'm from next door in uh, Mississippi in Gulfport. And so I've kind of made it my mission with Bridging the Gap. I travel to a lot of PWIs to talk about these very topics. I'm at the Kennedy Center Conference now and I gave a workshop today and very few things still shock me from what I hear, but the questions that I got was interesting, to say the least. And just talking to students, I focus a lot of my work in like edu like the education coming up, because when I learned, my mentor told me if I couldn't do both, I wouldn't work. And that's something that I think is lost on designers coming up through the ranks now. And so I always impart that on student designers. I said, you know, let's talk about how we cannot traumatize folks and, and make sure that we're doing adequate research. Research is at the heart of what I do. And research should be at the forefront. Like, don't hand people of color, you know, research images of white folks, essentially. And that's what a lot of designers do. I did a show wigs at Indie Rep in January and I had some seasoned equity professionals and they said, this is the first time in my career I've had research that looked like me, you know, that I've gone through and found matched textures in history and, and gave them these photos. And they were like, can we keep this research? Cause I put it in the nice plastic sleeves and put it on the mirrors and I do all of that for them. And I said, yeah, y'all, but these topics are, they're there. They're there. And I, it's just so, so many things.
things that like in the past like four years of doing the work like with bridging i've gotten uh my fair share of hate mail because it's folks in the industry that feel like who's this little black girl mississippi trying to tell me what to do with my hair and i'm usually the loudest advocating with a 75 dollar budget Yeah, <laughs> y'all want like I just literally turned down a job that job because it's like this is this may buy jail and edge control for the show, but I'm not getting <laughs> wigs out of this. I'm not getting the supplies that I, they were shocked, you know. And I'm at that point, Mike. Like, I'm if you come to me with hair, you're going to leave me with the same hair you came with, and so advocating for restoration fees, like. If you have someone take their braids out for a show and they want to get them re-put back in, those are things that like the theater needs to eat the cost for that. And that's something that that's the design you want. That's the design. We got to put their hair back. So sitting and talking to folks at Actors' Equity and what you know people are willing to pay for um, has been an eye-opening experience. Stressful one, a draining one. But when I I hear students write in to me and they say, you know, this is the first time on an audition sheet they ask, like, what products I use or, you know, if I'm willing to cut my hair to what length. Um, and I tell folks, stop running to the haircut conversation first but to do with Black Not Fair, you know, any way you slice it. And like I said, most mo- most of my work is stressful at these PWIs because that's who needs the work. Yep. Putting forth these diversity state, the, these long diversity statements, and it's like, are you really trying to do the work behind these diversity statements? It's like, put your money where your mouth is. Like, put up or shut up. It's literally at the point, like, you know, where I'm at. But the harm to these students, it's just, it's, it's not fair at at all. And that's that's. That's my mission, and so sorry for the trauma that has has been going on. And I'm trying my best to shape and and, and change that from from my end. Because as a costume designer, I sit in these rooms, and I'm usually the only black person in 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 the room on the artistic team. Um, and that in itself, like you're telling black stories, and you don't have correct artistic teams in place, like. How can you truly say that you're doing doing this play, you know, service? And, you know, it was the first time in my 11-year career, like, at Indie Rep, the director was Black, the costume designer was Black, and the wig person was Black. So we sat in on these artistic meetings. And it's like one person would say something, and the other two of us would get the reference, and we just nod in agreement. And everybody else on the team like, uh, can we have some information, please? And I was like, y'all don't need it. We got it. So that's all. <laughs> that's all who needs to needs to get it. So um, I just wanted to say thanks for this live. This is this is great, and it helps me to further know what to push for. And and talking to theaters and in talking with universities because. I run the gamut of breaking down vocabulary, you know, where to buy hair, how to match textures, how to get texture in wigs. Like we, we got crimpers out, dial rods out. We're setting all of those things, like trying, you know, what does prep look like to go underneath the wig and how somebody gets their hair braided. We can't, you know, then immediately put this wig on them because, you know, their hair has to loosen up a little bit before we go to start to stick pins in it. Um, so, yes, yes, yes. So thanks, y'all. This is this is awesome. So continue. <laughs> I like the restoration fee. The restoration fee was the one for me. Yeah. Like yeah. I never like that. That needs to be in there. That's a part of the clause on <laughs> restoration fee. Because actually when I did Romeo and Julieta Loyola, Serena J. Boogadoo, she, I forgot the character she played, y'all. I teach children now, so my brain fogs you. But Serena had box braids, and, and they initially wanted her to cut them out. And her box braids, like, she had had them in for a while, but she was also going through, like, uh, a transitional period uh, in her hair where 
she was transitioning her hair. So she had relaxed ends, but she also had like her natural texture roots. So she was going through transitioning before a big chop, but she was not ready to commit mm-hmm. to a big chop yet. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, Casey Thomasy, who uh, is a costume director at Loyola uh, University of New Orleans, she was my mentor. So what I will say is as a white woman, Casey has been very accommodating to and, and receptive to everything that I have advocated for. Now, I cannot speak to uh, the designers <laughs> past me, uh, but I know when I was there, um, she did tell me like, like the, the ins and outs, how to not accept the budget. If you're telling me that this is the budget, oh, I need it extended. Oh, okay, yes, we're going to extend it. Sal Menino was another, especially because I believe he is the artistic director at Loyola now. And I was, I think Sal was, yes, yeah, I was artistic director while I still designed there. And he would always check in. Uh, do you need something? And what I was conditioned to do like just off of like what the culture is in theater, I used to get products that would get us by rather than would accommodate us up into my last few shows. And then I really made sure, okay, let's pack the punch. You know, you want these looks because, and it's, again, it's no shade, but when you see a well-done look on melanated people on stage, when I tell oh, you, and I, oh if, you, if you yeah. check my story, I'm going to say my story, you can check my, <laughs> my like... socials. I still have the the professional photos of um, of Cadillac Crew posted on on my main page. And that, I, I, I always say, like, yes, Romeo and Juliet was, like, like something that has stamped me as a creative, uh, not necessarily in form of like recognition of anybody. They didn't have to win awards. It just, it, it solidified that I can do this thing and also stay true to who I am as a person, as, as an artist. Yeah. But Cadillac Crew had to be one of the most important pieces that I have. I was so, I'm getting chills. I was so emotionally invested in, in, in my presentation. And I mean, from the first design meeting to having my slides laid up with my mood boards, to having Pinterest boards, to collaborating with, with again, Lauren. Lauren told me what she wanted. Lauren also gave me creative control as well and trusted me. She told me, what, what do we need to do to make it work? And we made it work. But that still reigns to me like the most important, um, the most important anything that I've done across my creative career. Um, I hold that one very near and dear to my heart. I didn't burn my hands so many times getting the right curl together. And I mean, and then we also talk about maintenance and upkeep. Like I had full 360 lace human hair wigs for most of those. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I had 360 lace wigs. Uh, wait, the real tea is, Lauren, did you get your wig from them people? Because it's still at that school. They got all them lock wigs still at that school. You might want to snatch you up one, put it on, you walk the day with it. No, make, make sure you get yours. Make sure you get yours. But it, take one of them. <laughs> listen, and take the human hair lace. I don't know if they repurposed it, but that was good hair. That was good hair. But like the upkeep and the maintenance of those styles, uh, what it took to do it. I, I remember like I took 360 lace synthetic wigs as my base for those lock wigs. And we would braid someone's hair if they're getting a sew-in or something like that. And then I crocheted by hand each individual lock into the wig. And from there, we went to styling it. It was very difficult to pull off, but it was something that not only was I so proud to do, but I was just so proud to just be a part of it. Um, And as uh, the previous person just said, they're like, that was like, she had a time where it was just like you had so many black designers on the show. I remember Ryan Wiles was the sound designer for the show. Just having, seeing other people like you in the room in these roles, like it was so important. And I think that's what made the show so magical is that we didn't, 
uh, for lack of a better phrase, half you know what it. We, we didn't do that. It was full on commitment. And I think that's what's missing from our counterpart designers. Like I said before, I have to know how to do non-POC hair. I have to know how to do non-Black hair. But that same requirement is not met at the reciprocal. Instead, it's like, oh, it's common to understand that these people's hair is complicated. And no shade if we're meeting diversity quotas, commit to your diversity quota. So it's, it's 10.53 months, so I'm going to have to wrap it up because... I am an educator now, and and that ain't that ain't that ain't that ain't easy. But I I will say that, like as my closing remark, like I I think that for me, the last uh, theater that I, I worked with was the Tennessee Williams Theater Company, and I did Desire, Desire, Desire. I played Blanche Dubois, and then uh, Abigail Gothic. And I, I felt really, I felt accommodated there. But my personal experience at my PWI, the school that shall be named, um, there was there was so much that was happening culturally at the school, or lack thereof, and so so much snide things when people of color and black people were trying to speak up about not even just being accommodated in this one specific area, but also being accommodated as in the department as, as artists to deal with your season, as people who have production credits uh, in order to complete the program listing, in order to graduate, there was such a a huge drop of the ball year after year, season after season. And yes, they've done things to accommodate people, but like putting on musicals that you can just colorblind cast is not enough. And I know me personally, um, I did say that the Tennessee Williams Theater Company show was like, my last feet in New Orleans. Like I was, like I, I did say, but like it, I had a good, I love everyone in Tennessee Williams, but mostly my experience at my, my, my alma mater, my, my college, it made me denounce the art form. Like I stopped performing theater. I stopped designing for theater. It's something and we, we talked about the trauma. I, I hope, Heartedly, do not of designing to like my mentors. I've even been blocked by, I've been blocked by the the tab page at my. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. The tab page, also the forum on Facebook that allows us to see the opportunities. Yes, I have. I have been blocked by uh, that school that Jalen goes to that I used to go to that I graduated from. I've been blocked uh, from, and, and it's crazy because once we did the social media reform and, and all this that a third, when I was advocating for things that I know that like, okay, Loyola, <laughs> I was advocating uh, for things that I know I certainly would not be able to benefit from, um, which was equity amongst the the school equity when it came to uh classes that were taken who's actually teaching us this art form what shows are actually in our season bringing back um senior one acts so that these black students and these poc students can write the things that we're not even being able to accommodate like there's such a huge pull from us to pull from that everybody can be accommodated in college and yet and still we're doing offensive offensive shows in which I had to sit in an audience while a bunch of like older elderly white people sat in during a Sunday matinee and laughed and made offensive jokes at what was the, what was that show I forgot that show but it, it was it was distasteful and the work at said school was performative because I got a chance to be over social media. So I was able to start posting 
all of us equally. I was able to start marketing the shows and then marketing our works equally where all of us were being represented, whereas in the past, only a few people were represented. And he who shall not be named, definitely who's at the, the tippy top of that department, was performative. Like you made me seem like we were actually making steps forward. Mm-hmm. And then once once I was like done, once I graduated, I was blocked from both forums. Once I went public about the stuff that was actually happening. And it was di- it was absolutely distasteful. And it got to a point where I don't feel like in I would like to say for the record, two of my mentors that were there, Casey Thomasy and uh, Salmonino. While I was there, they showed me the utmost love. But being blocked from these forums, I'm in New York City, the city of dreams, and I have not touched a piece of theater out here. Like, I haven't even reached out to them as mentors for connections or anything because I do feel like that bridge has been burned. What I do recommend for people who are even if anybody in the live or anybody that is Black or POC that is aspiring and thinking about going to school to study the art form, it is in your best honor to do it at an HBCU. It, it, it is, if I, if I could re- rewind the clock, I would do it at and HBCU. You're going to get the shows, not just shows that's your typical shows. You're going to get the shows. You're going to get the voice. You're going to get those same connections because that's no shade what college is all about, networking at the end of the day. You get your cute piece of paper, but in a sense of like connections, I like I said, I have not, I have not felt comfortable to even dip my toe in to go and explore this. And, and like, as I said, I know I have the talent to do these things, but the amount of trauma that comes with it. I've stepped away from designing for a bit. When I do do it, it's for me, it's for myself, but it's not even something that I want to even think about attempting to monetize again or attempting to go out and get out there again. Like it, it definitely has left me with a scar that I have to go back and heal. I have to like, after all of this, I'm left to pick up the pieces and deal with the traumas of being black and being an artist and a white dominated. So what I will say as my closing remarks, Jalen, it was an absolute pleasure getting to know you during the time that I was there. And I do see you from afar doing your thing. And I want you to keep pushing, rise above it, but always advocate for yourself. Because at the end of the day, I wouldn't change anything that I've done when it came for the advocacy of the community, whether that's burnt bridges and all. So definitely go forth and do your thing. Thank you so much for holding this forum to where we can speak and voice our concerns and just have a space where you can be within the community and and just share, because I think that's more important. Like even just like, you know, talking about it, not necessarily saying that we have to make a massive plan to fix it right then and there, but just being able to feel heard goes a long way. So thank you so much. if I'm ever in the New Orleans realm, I might have to pop down to No Dream Deferred. I, I love you, what y'all do. I love y'all mission. When I was there, I always dreamt of being a part of, but like I said, quite literally the traumas left of being a Black artist in a white-dominated field left me just in a, in a ring. Yeah, so y'all take care. I'm going to go get ready for tomorrow's lessons. Thank you so much again. Have a good one. Thank you, Brittany. Love you. Love you too. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. Oh man. Yes. Yeah. I can hear you now. I'm wondering if y'all can yeah. hear me. Like, can y'all can you, can you hear me, Jalen? <laughs> oh, okay. I was like trying not to talk anymore. <laughs> okay. Wow. I was not expecting this dream hour to be what it was. I was on here like not thinking that it was going to be anything because like it's just I don't know we all like we're just getting ready for us we're getting ready for the festival the festival's like all over the place but like I'm really happy this happened and it happened it ended like right in an hour oh well we're not done yet but like we're basically done but um yeah I really appreciate you coming on Jalen 
And everybody that joined, oh my goodness, yeah. I'm let me go ahead and like make sure that I follow everybody that that just spoke because I'm probably on this and all the other socials too because y'all have so much to y'all had so much to to say. I wish we could have talked more, but we're at the hour, so we about to go to sleep because I got a lot of stuff I still got to do. But this was great. One, I guess maybe some quick announcements that's going to happen within No Dream Deferred within the next couple of weeks. We are, as I said earlier, we just started rehearsals for Drapes and Mania and Where the Sugar Still Sweet. And those are, that's, that's on and going. We literally just started today. I'm so excited because in the next couple of weeks, the festival will open March 19th. And then it's going to run from that time all the way to Juneteenth. And if you, well, you know what? I feel like I'm getting my days all kinds of run. Y'all just stay tuned to what we're going to be posting online on socials and what you will be starting to see in physical form around the city. Let folks know about it and make sure you're sharing. Let folks know about the, you can already start purchasing your tickets. That can be found in the link in our bio. And am I missing anything? I don't think I'm missing anything. Oh, yeah, duh. It's the end of Black History Month, but still stay Black. We, you know, most of us are still Black. We're going to be doing our Black history throughout the whole year. Um, celebrate every single month, right? Um, um, and I think that's yeah, all, that's all I have to say. Do you, you have anything you want to say, Jalen, before we just close out? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm excited for our festival. <laughs> <laughs> and, and last words thank you so yeah. much Day mix Me this too. has always been like a beautiful platform just for us artists just to come and talk so thank you you're welcome i'm so happy to host <laughs> i'm so happy to just let y'all have the floor and oh, yeah. i just sit back and listen next time i'll bring some wine but maybe but i'll um next uh the next i think that the next dream hour is actually next tuesday we're getting back to a regular schedule. We didn't have a dream hour last Tuesday because of Mardi Gras, but we're resumed today because of that. And then I think we're going to, our next one is scheduled for next Tuesday. And I Ooh. believe I'm supposed to be interviewing our playwrights for this festival. Okay. So I think all three of them are on here. We're going to be having a little chit chat. So y'all should come back for that because that's kind of be kind of a big deal. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Y'all hope y'all have a great evening and Happy last day of Black History Month and next next tomorrow hey, hey. is the start of women's Let's history. Go. So always you can still celebrate. That was such a fruitful conversation. I was really thankful that what I thought was gonna be a fifteen minute dream hour ended up being an entire hour because the quality of the conversation was just there. We really need to have those conversations. You don't really being okay, how can I put this? I, as y'all know, majority of y'all know, have been in predominantly white spaces almost my entire life, or I should say white adjacent, white influenced. So there are just like the spaces just don't call for the things that in terms of black hair, like what we need, hair, makeup. And man, if I had really gotten into it, like costuming, because the body of a black person, even though it is very versatile is can sometimes be difficult to fit into some of these costumes that they be trying to put us into but that is another conversation for another time I really hope that y'all enjoyed this episode um I know it was a little different than the past episodes but we are in a new year and I've been really busy as you've probably told seen from the last couple of episodes with many projects um including Multi-hyphenate Mondays, which is happening at the Always Lounge every first and third Monday from the time from, from, from now until we don't know. So come check us out. Come see us in person. And um, I think that's about it at the current moment. As y'all know, I'll be doing Jesus Christ Superstar, playing Judas in burlesque at the end of March. Good Friday. Check that out. And lastly, y'all, we can't do any of this without support, without love without money and if y'all have any extra to give outside of coming to our shows our live shows please join the patreon the patreon although it is not always updated every single week or sometimes month it helps us continue to grow the podcast it continues to allow us to even have the podcast on these platforms because there are fees 
y'all there are fees to keep it going and as for the self-aware millennial itself we really would like to start getting out into the community a little bit more i mean we're technically doing it through multi-hyphenate mondays it's just not under the self-aware millennials name it's under triple pep media i'm rambling i hope y'all enjoyed this episode maybe i'll talk a little bit more about this in the next episode and i hope that again you have a wonderful happy black history month i will see y'all next time bye